so. I'm going to ask the guys with the Bibles, if you'd pass those out for some of the folks that maybe forgot theirs this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep this one. Just raise your hand, they'll get you one. Open up to James chapter 4. It comes after Hebrews. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And at Calvary Chapel, as you know, we, uh, we stand for the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. One we honor, the other we tolerate, right? So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. By the way, they did this in Nehemiah. They stood for the reading of the, of the word, and uh, that's why we do that. James chapter 4, as we're going through this epistle written by the brother of Jesus Christ, half-brother of Jesus Christ, uh, James the Just, and he's writing to a primarily Messianic uh, Jewish congregation, but the words are as applicable to us today as they were to the hearers then. So we're going to pick up at verse 1. It says, Where do wars... And fights come from among you. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace, and therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Wow, that's heavy. Pray for me so we can get through this all right. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, all of your word's heavy. But Lord, your commandments are not burdensome. For you, Holy Spirit, give us the strength to obey. And so, Lord, as we examine your word this day, I pray that you administer to every heart that you would be glorified. Establish these truths that our lives would be transformed, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Have a seat. Relax. Take a load off. I was um, doing some investigating because as the passage begins, where do wars and fights come from? And as I was thinking about that idea, where do wars and fights come from, the first thing that occurred to me is how many wars have been fought on the face of the earth? And so I did a little investigating, and uh, one of the things I, I thought about is, why, why do we war? Why do we war? I even just Googled that and looked at wiki answers and uh, Yahoo answers and the like, and it was interesting to see why people think there's wars on the face of the earth. And they said it's because of religion, and um, yeah, okay. And so, actually, they were right, and I'll explain in a moment, but I, I like what... Um, what uh, Karl von Clausewitz said, and he, he wrote a treatise on war in 1832, and the Prussians, they had the angle on war. They, they were, they were uh, highly educated and had, um, had followed the, the science of war. And his conclusion was, war is thus an act of force to compel our enemy to do our will. Let me repeat that again. War is thus an act of force to compel our enemy to do our will. I thought that was a pretty good definition. I was thinking about some of the wars that are going on. The largest war uh, that's still ongoing, it's the Second, the, the Second Congo War. 
um, and it's a, it's a civil war. And uh, they estimate since the war started in 1998, it's still going on, three to five million people have died. You don't even see any of the reports in the media. But yet, um, it, it's, it's happening right now. There's wars happening all over the world. Uh, Conway Henderson, who is a, a historian, he wrote, one source claims that there's been over 14,500 wars that have taken place between 3500 B.C. and the late 20th century, costing an estimated 3.5 to 4 billion lives. And, and in that span of time, from 3500 B.C. to the late 20th century, there's only been 300 years of cumulative peace. So as, as humanity goes, we are vicious. Every culture in the world um, has, has in, incurred some sort of a conflict at one time or another. In Western Europe, since the late 18th century, more than 150 conflicts and about 600 battles have taken place just since the 18th century in, in Western Europe. This is a, this is a classic quote. This was, uh, this, it, this was a, an estimation by Albert Einstein, and it, and it occurred in 1947 in the view of rapidly increasing destructive consequences of modern warfare and with a particular concern for the consequences and costs of the newly developed atom bomb. Albert Einstein famously stated, I know not with what weapons World War III will be fought, but World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. <laughs> we're, we're on the verge of annihilating one another as we're watching Iran slowly get to a place of nuclear capability. North Korea too. It was Mao Zedong who urged the socialist camp not to fear nuclear war with the United States. Since, he said, even if half of mankind is annihilated, the other half would remain. While imperialism would be ground into the dirt, the whole world would then become socialist. That's a little frightening. You know, the death toll of World War II was estimated at 60 million plus. Surpasses all other war death tolls by a factor of two. We've been fighting for a long time. We've been fighting for a long, long time. Where do wars come from? Where do fights come from? I, I think of this idea that those who think that man is innately good, the evidence seems to declare otherwise. We fight. Right now, just scanning the room, I can guarantee you, you're in some sort of a personal conflict with somebody at some point in your life. Stop it. <laughs> right? Even interpersonal relationships. And we watch all the death and the killing and, and what, what occurs in our world. And then James picks up this topic and he addresses it. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? That's a good question. Where do wars and fights come from among you? And then he says, do they not come from your desires and pleasures that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you don't ask. He's saying you're fighting because, because you, you're not getting what you want. And, then, and, and the reason why you don't have what you want is because you don't ask. But then you do ask, but you don't receive it. And you get upset, so you war some more. And the reason why you don't receive it is because you're asking amiss. You're selfish. It's all about you. You want to spend it on your pleasures, James says. He says, you adulterers, you adulteresses. He's talking to the church. 
You adulterers, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, separation from God? You're in love with the things of the world, church. And that's why there's war. That's why you're fighting. That's why there's splits and divisions. That's why there's misery. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Enemy of God? Yes. Well, there's a war going on. It's God versus man and man versus God. Although God doesn't seek to destroy man, he seeks to save man. Man seeks to remove God and destroy man. And as he goes on with this, he says, Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? The Bible says that the flesh lusts after the spirit and the spirit lusts after the flesh. I always understood, you know what, I'm sorry, let me interrupt. There's some folks that are cold up here and I can already tell it's an icebox in the front, so... We are working on it. I said that five weeks ago, but it will get resolved. All right. I will say this, that in the passage of Scripture where it says that the spirit lusts after the flesh and the flesh lusts after the spirit, I get this idea that the flesh lusts after the spirit. I know that the flesh wants to have the position of God in our life. I know that we, we want to do what we want to do, and I understand the flesh drives us. I get that. But the part that I don't get is why does God, the spirit, Lust after the flesh. Why does he want what the flesh has? Be, well, here's why. He, he wants to be in control of our lives. He doesn't want to be in control of our lives so that he, he can control us like robots. He wants to be in control of our lives because it brings us life, brings us hope. And he knows that the flesh sits on the throne of our life, and, and God says, come to me, all you are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. I, I want to take that seat of the throne of your life, but you've got to give it to me. You got to give it to me. You got to be tired of the world. You got to be sick of the warfare. You got to be tired of the conflict. I'll give you peace, but not as the world gives peace will I give unto you. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Let me say that again. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Let me say it again. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Well, then, Pastor, what is peace? Peace is the presence of God in the midst of the conflict, He's the Prince of Peace. And even in the middle of the war, He will set your mind at ease. You'll keep thee in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast on thee. And so in the midst of this, when he says that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, God wants to be on the throne of your life. He knows it's the best thing for you. But he's a gentleman. He'll never go where he's not invited. And that's why all of us have to make that decision in life. You see, the war isn't between nations. The war is between you and God. And until we surrender, there will be no peace. And until we yield, there'll be no peace. And if we don't yield, we will war with one another. We will war with the church because it'll be all about us. And that's where the wars come from and the fights come from. The Lord says he he gives more grace. He says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you humble yourself, he'll give you grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. He'll bless you beyond measure and give you a life you never thought you could live. He'll restore all those broken relationships that you and your pride have destroyed. The lives that you've alienated, the hearts that you've hurt, the selfishness that you have ascribed to your life and the, and the decimation that has been a result of that. God will, will heal that and goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. He will give you grace, but you cannot resist him in pride. You must humble yourself. That's why the scripture says then, as James writes, verse 7, submit yourself to God. 
Therefore, with that understanding, you want to have peace? Submit yourself to God. You want to have peace? Submit yourself to God. You want to have peace? Submit yourself to God. Uh, Is there any other kind of peace? No. I want to be in control. Then there's no peace. Submit yourself to God. That's why the scripture begins in Ephesians, and we studied this before, before it goes into all the roles of marriage. You know, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Children, obey your parents. It'll go well with you. You live long on the earth. Uh, employees, submit to your employers. Employ, employers, be kind to your employees. And he goes through all the descriptions of every interpersonal relationship. But he begins the entire passage by saying, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And what he's saying is this, in every relationship in life, in every relationship in life, there is a third party. And what that means is, it's not what you want or what your wife wants or what your husband wants. It's what does God want. And that will heal every relationship in life when you realize there's a third party. And so James picks up the same theme that Paul picked up. Submit, therefore, to God. That will heal wars. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil wants you to make it about you. You resist him. You draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. How do you draw near to God? The cross. I, self-preservation, ego, I, me, mine, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives in me to will and do of his good pleasure. We die, he lives. That's how you submit to God. That's how you draw near to God, to the cross. You deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow the Lord. It's not about you. It's what does God want? What does God want? What does God want? That is peace. He says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You can't sit on the fence and say, I got my get-out-of-hell-free card, but I want to go about my wretched life. No. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, lament, mourn, and weep. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. And you mourn when the Bible says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You mourn your sinful condition. You look at it and you say, God, I don't want this anymore. I'm poor in spirit. I'm sick of who I am and what I do. Those things that I want to do, I don't do. Those things I don't want to do, those I do. I am sick of this. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Everywhere I go, I war. Every relationship I have, I destroy. God, help me. I'm sick of this. I'm mourning. I'm weeping. I don't laugh at at, at sin anymore as though it's entertaining. I weep over that. There's, there's There's no joy in that. It's turned to mourning and to gloom as I see what they call entertainment and it sickens me. What has happened to our world? We no longer call them babies. We call them blobs of tissue and we destroy them. It's no longer murder. It's a choice. God, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with us? Mourn. Weep. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. You're not the center of the universe. There's two rules that govern the universe. There is a God and you are not him. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And then what happens? He'll lift you up. He'll lift you up. It'll be all right. James gets it. This idea of where do wars and fights come from. It's real simple. We want to be God. You see, there's only one conflict in the world. 
I described what governs the universe. There is a God. We are not him. But here's where the war comes from. We want to be God. We declare ourselves to be good, man. Innately good. We're improving. <laughs> Look around the room. <laughs> it's not working. Yeah. We are not good. In me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. Given a, an environment and a span of time, I will reduce to the least common denominator. It's the law of entropy. I will destroy and I will be destroyed. We can't stop it. You see, there's only one war. It's the war of who sits on the throne of your life. You or God. There will always be a war until the seat of that throne changes. And then God occupies the seat of your life, the throne of your life. The Spirit yearns jealously for you. He wants you to have life and life more abundant. He came that you'd have life. He wants you to be blessed. I was thinking about this idea of war. We think that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Hmm. He is the Prince of Peace. But the peace we think of, and one of the reasons why the Jews never embraced him is because they thought the Messiah would bring peace. They'd do away with Rome. We'd be singing Kumbaya, and we'd be holding hands, and John Lennon would be singing the theme. But he didn't. It got worse. His idea of peace was to be bloodied upon a cross. What is what? What? what, is, what? To be beaten and scourged, spat upon and mocked and ridiculed. He declares his peace is found in his body broken and his blood shed. What? What kind of a religion is this that we sing of blood? And the Lord declares, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. He said this in Matthew 10. Let me tell you about my peace, God says. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. What? No, he's saying this. The philosophy of life that governs you when God sits on the throne of your life, the world will hate you. As they hated me, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. As they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. There is a war. And when you become the seat of the throne of God where he resides, then you will become the object of man's selfish wrath. Everything you stand for, they will be against. But I will be your peace. There will be war. People will reject the God you serve. They will reject the truths that you espouse. They will marginalize you, ostracize you, and alienate you. But take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus said. And I will give you peace in the midst of the conflict. I was thinking about these things. In one regard, James speaks of war. In another, Jesus speaks of peace. But in both cases, there's war. 
And again, it boils down to the war of the human heart. Jesus said in John 14, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things which I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I've overcome the world. I said on the cross, it is finished. There are battles to be fought, but the war is already won. It is a battle for human hearts. Declaring truths in the midst of opposition, with vitriol and violence, they will attack you. But greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's powerful. This idea of truth, to stand upon these truths of God, that we don't do it alone, we don't do it in our flesh, we do it in the strength of the Holy Spirit, the helper who comes alongside and is in us and is with us and is upon us. He gives us this ability to stand, to put on the full armor of God and to stand. Jesus said in John 8 to those who believed him, he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Oh, you think because of your heritage or your lineage or your superior knowledge that somehow you are not in bondage. Yes, you are. There's a sin that easily besets you. You may redefine it. You may say it's choice. You may say that it's an alternative lifestyle, but it is bondage. It is sin. You may... You may Reject the God who declares that to be true, who's the embodiment of truth. But that doesn't change the the facts any more that you not believe in gravity changes the fact that gravity exists. It is a law that governs the human heart. Until you know the truth, you will not be made free. And the truth is this. We're sinners and we need a savior. And there is a war in the human soul. And you are in bondage to sin. And that sin is selfish. And that sin draws us to the author of lies and the father of lies who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a roaring lion roaming about, seeking whom he may devour. And he appeals to your flesh. And he's got a vile way of doing it, and he's very gifted at it. He knows how to make your members war. He knows how to get you all up in a tizzy. He knows how to make it so it's between you and somebody else. Here's how he does it. The Bible says the Lord will keep you in perfect peace when your mind is steadfast on him. But here's what the enemy of your soul does. This is what Satan does. Satan Satan is so good. He's so good. Actually, Satan doesn't even need to do it to me. I'm a willing participant. He doesn't even need to assign a demon to me. He's like, that guy, he's on autopilot. Here's what Satan does and his minions. Ready? He gets you to make it all about you. <laughs> Some of you are going, oh, that's not, that's not, that, that doesn't apply to me. See, it's about you. <laughs> oh, I guess you're right. How'd that happen? You're a sucker. 
We fall for the same thing, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life. We see in the passage of Scripture, and this is where I want to draw the message this morning, this idea of wars and fights. How do we overcome the world? How do we overcome this battle? How is it that we're on the winning side? How is it that we cleanse our hands and purify our hearts, that we are no longer uh, uh, double-minded? We're lamenting and we're mourning our sinful condition. We're, we're, We're in gloom and we want to return to laughter in a sense. And we realize that we have to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord that He would lift us up. How does that happen? The thing that's so amazing about our Savior Jesus is He was fully God and fully man. He was a complete man. There was only one other complete man on the face of the earth in a sense, and that was Adam, and then we had Jesus. And a complete man is, as it says in Thessalonians, soma, psyche, and pneuma, body, soul, and spirit, the trichotomy of man. But in this sense, in the Garden of Eden... Adam was dictated by the pneuma, the spirit of God. And that dictated to his psyche, his mind and his intellect, what his soma, his body would do. And he operated in the context of the Lord and he he was doing the will of the father. He was doing the will of God. But then one day, the enemy of our soul said, let's make it about you. God's holding back. This is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eating of it, dying, you will surely die. He takes of the apple as does his wife. And that day, the pneuma, the Spirit of God, departed. Man went upside down. The body started to dictate to the mind what it was to do. We were, we were fleshly creatures driven by our lusts. There isn't enough. There's never enough. Why does there have to be a new centerfold every month? There's never enough. Why do we sit in endless hours in front of an idiot box? There's never enough. Why do we eat until we bludgeon ourselves? There's never enough. Why does it start with a a gateway drug and then end up in addiction? Because there's never enough. The body will never be content until it destroys itself. It's death and it's dictated by death. And the author of lies and the one who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. The roaring lion roaming about seeking to devour you and me. Created in the image of God. But that spirit has departed. In the Garden of Eden, we abandon God. And in the wilderness, in the desert of Judea, God returned. You see, it was interesting of Jesus, fully God, fully man. We find in the beginning portions of the book of Luke, it says, Mary said unto the angel, how can this be? I've never known a man and the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You see, this is the Holy Spirit moving in the life of Christ in the womb. And the picture that we see in this conception of Christ is that Jesus, listen, Jesus, listen, Jesus was born of the Spirit. He was conceived and born of the Spirit of God. You want to have peace with God? You want to be a full human being? You need to be born again. You need to be born of the Spirit. The pneuma has to return to our dichotomy lives that we would once again be a trichotomy. Soul, or spirit, soul, and body. You see, and as he was conceived and the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and Jesus was born of the Spirit, we think to ourselves, how are we born of the Spirit? How does God operate in the life of a man? And this is what's so powerful, the Spirit's moving in our lives, is because what Jesus did as a man, we can all do. He was fully God, but he never did anything as a man that we can't do to overcome sin. He operated fully as a man, though being fully God. Everything he did, you and I can do. 
And this is the picture. You see, in Hebrews chapter 9, in Hebrews chapter 9, there's a picture that we see in verses 14 and 15. Paul, we believe to be the author, writes, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, offered himself, Jesus offered himself without spot to God, and this would cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And you see this. You see, Jesus offered himself to the Father through the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Jesus offered himself to the Father through the Holy Spirit. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, God, I want to give you my life? Have you ever offered yourself to God through the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit has brought you to this place. He's brought conviction upon your heart. He wants you to give your life to the Father through the Son. Have you ever offered your life to God? We think about this in relation to Jesus. When did he offer himself to the Father through the Spirit? Well, it's told in Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Listen, then I said, Jesus said this to the Father through the Spirit. He said this, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me. Listen, to do thy will, O God. What is the purpose of war according to, to, to the historian? He said it was that we could get others or compel others to do our will. That's what Carl von Clausewitz said, to compel others to do our will. Jesus willingly said, Lo, it is written of me in the volume of the book, Father, I've come to do thy will. I yield. The war's over. I'm yours. You want peace? Offer yourself to God. You want peace? Offer yourself to God. Be born again. Be born of the Spirit. Be a full human being again. Led, guided, and directed, filled, baptized by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things, bring you into remembrance of all things. This is the peace that I leave with you. My helper, the Holy Spirit. I don't give as the world gives to you. But when I give you my Holy Spirit, you will not have to have your heart be troubled. Neither will you need to be afraid. I haven't given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I close with this last portion, and this is the one that touched me in relation to James chapter 4. Satan's tactic is to make it about you. That's where the war comes from. You don't get what you want. It's all about me. Whiny, whiny. Don't think you're the only one who's faced this. It begins in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, listen, Jesus being filled, being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in Mark that he was driven into the wilderness. The Holy Spirit, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness like a, a mule. Where'd he send him? Into the wilderness. What's the wilderness? Lancaster, Palmdale. Victorville, ah, I want to be in Santa Barbara, ah, go, ah. right? And he drove him into the wilderness, tough place to be. Where are we in this day and age? We are in a wilderness. It's tough, isn't it? 
watching the economy go into the tubes and seeing everything falling apart around us, watching businesses struggle. We think this is a wilderness. And then he was tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. 40 days without food. Every day, Satan's riding him, riding him. The prince of darkness, the embodiment of evil, is riding the Son of God. And you got it tough? 40 days without food? I struggle going an hour. My blood sugar's low. That's why I'm angry. Now get me something to eat and hurry up about it. Something chocolatey. The scripture says after 40 days of eating nothing, he was hungry. The Bible is the king at understatement, but I will say this. This is no, this, this is no joke. 40 days of fasting, physiologists say that this is when the human body says, if you don't eat something, you'll be dead in 24 to 48 hours. That's why you see those little children in Africa and starvation, their bellies are bloated because their internal organs are being consumed and it's irreparable damage unto death. And the body kicks in these hunger pains. Uh, hunger pains, and I've made it to 15 days of fasting, never beyond that. But in the third, fourth day, yeah, it shut down. I remember sitting at at uh, Claim Jumper with my family on like the 14th day of the fast, and they've got, you know, all the food from Claim Jumper just piled up, and I'm not even moved by it. Yeah, I was like, this is so cool. The hunger goes away. Your body just yields. But when the hunger pangs come back, and the scripture says he was hungry, the body is saying, eat or die. And that's where we see in Nehemiah when the wall was 50% completed and they were 100% exhausted. That's when Sambalat and Tobiah and everyone else came into ridicule. At this moment when he was hungry, Satan doesn't go, oh, that poor fella, 40 days and I've been riding him like a rented mule. He's hungry. I'm going to just back off. Just let him rest. No, you were in a fallen world and this is a roaring lion and he looks for prey that is weak and feeble and he's going to strike you. When your body is telling you it needs something. And Jesus was hungry. And at this moment, the devil said, if you are the son of God, not properly translated, should be stated, you and I both know you're the son of God. Command the stones to become bread. What Satan is saying to Jesus is. You're the son of God. Where's dad now? He's abandoned you. The pastor didn't come visit you. The church doesn't care. Nobody called me when I was sick. Where's the church now? Sound familiar? My family didn't call me. You're not the only one who's been there. Jesus is right there. Where's dad? Why don't you take matters into your own hands? You have the strength and the power to do it. Turn the stones into bread. 
Take it into your own hands. Bypass the Father. Load is written of me in the volume of the book. I've come to do thy will, O God. Jesus responded, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It doesn't matter if I die. And if I don't get food in 24 to 48 hours, if God seeks to slay me, as Job said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. God is in control. My life is his. It's not about me. It's about what the Father wants. That's the wilderness. The war isn't between the people who haven't come to visit you. It's not the church that's let you down. We are flawed creatures too, amen? The war is in your heart between you and God. God has never let you down. He will never leave you or forsake you. He drove you into this wilderness to be dependent upon Him. He has created this environment that we're struggling in. He has made the economy what it is. So that we will cry out and cling to Him. That is a Christian life. That is the war. Not my will, thy will be done. The devil then taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I'll give to you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all will be yours. You can have the world. You can have your cake and eat it too. Just acknowledge that, that, that I'm the one who gave it to you. Recognize my authority. Jesus responded, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. No. Lo, it is written of me in the volume of the book, I've come to do the will of the Father. I may be dying. You may be appealing to the lust of the eyes and the lust for the flesh and the boastful pride of life. And you want to make it about me. And I am hungry and I am dying, but it's not about me. It's about the Father. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him up on a pinnacle. The temple said to him, you and I both know you're the son of God. Throw yourself down from here. And he says, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He quotes scripture to him. I know scripture too. It works on my behalf as much as yours. Let's just all get along. Do something for yourself. Make the scriptures about you. Read them not into the context of what God wants. Read them in the context of how it appeals to you. And do not be unequally yoked. And what does is, what is a, a, a child of God have to do with an unbeliever? But, but that's not about the Lord. That's about you. You're lonely. You date whoever you want and marry whoever you want. No. Jesus puts it into context. And he answered, it has been said, you shall, not attempt, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I'm here to do his will, and I'm not going to redline it. I'm not going to make the Father struggle with me. I'm here to do his will, not my own. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. It's interesting because that's what the, James says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He resisted him. He left. He's going to find another opportune time, but he took off. You know why he took off? Because he realized something. He realized what David realized in the Valley of Elah when he stood in front of Goliath. Oh, Saul wanted to clothe him in his, in his weaponry, and David took it off. It's interesting how we want to dress our young people up like the world, and we want them to fight and put on the tools of the world because we think it's hip and we think it's cool. Just go out and be who God called you to be and stand there and realize it's not the weapon you, you, you wear. It's not how close you can get to looking like the, church, or the world. 
David walked out there and said, this battle's not against me and you, Goliath. This battle's against you and God, and you are going to get whooped. The world will know that there's a God in heaven. The battle belongs to the Lord. I got two pieces of string and a leather pouch and a stone, and you're covered in bronze. And I acknowledge that your physical weaponry is far superior than my own. But all I needed is a safety pin and I can take you down. Because I am a scalpel in the hands of the surgeon and he's going to cut you up, baby. David walked out in the spirit of the Lord. If David walked out and wanted to make it about him, he would be bird food. But David walked out in the strength of the Lord. And this is what I close with. Jesus was on the verge of death. He was hungry. He had every right to make it about him. But lo, it is written of me in the volume of the book. I've come to do thy will, O God. He was filled with the spirit and the spirit drove him into the wilderness. Are you in a tough situation right now? I want you to know something. God put you there. It says, count it all joy when you face various trials. Those trials don't, those, those trials are, can be self-inflicted trials. God didn't qualify them. You're right where you are because God allowed it to happen. And he says, trust me and I'll show you great and mighty things you know not of. God allows you in these trials to get to the end of yourself that you will be strengthened in the spirit to say everything is about the Lord. It's not about me. Quit whining about your physical condition. Quit whining about all the relationships that are broken. Quit whining about your past. You're not a victim. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Get over yourself. Amen? Amen. Some of you are going, well, I'm not sure about that. I enjoy being about me. (laughs) Then you are food for the lion. And you are an enemy of God. This is a tough world. We're all going through it together. But get your eyes off yourself and get them on the Lord. You're going through a wilderness. I don't deny that it's hard. I empathize with you. I'll be there to comfort and encourage you, but I will not allow you to make it about yourself. There's no pity parties in the body of Christ. God knows what he's doing and what he does is good. All things work together for good. We are not victims we are more than conquerors well i wasn't breastfed as a baby so what (laughs) quit blaming mom and dad all things work together for good yes finally at the end of this temptation as james says submit to god resist the devil he'll flee draw near to god he'll draw near to you the angels came and comforted jesus And you know what happened at that moment? Verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. You know why? Because the Father had every bit of the Son. Does the Son have every bit of you? Because if He can get you off yourself, He can now use His power to reach others. Yes, scatter the seed. Some falls on the hard ground. Some falls on the shallow ground. Some falls in the wheat-choked ground. 
Some falls in the fertile ground. This is plucked up by the birds of the air, and that's the, the devil taking it out. And right now he's plaguing you, and he's just taking the seed. And the shallow ground, oh, you get a little root, but then some trials come along, and the wheat wither, or the sun withers you, and you fade. And then others of you, yeah, you sprout, and you're growing up, and you're looking good, but the weeds come up with you, and it's the cares of the world and the treasures, and you fall in love with them, and you're worthless. But then some of you fall on fertile ground, and you produce a 60, 100-fold return. What does that mean? That means you're ready to feed others. You're fruitful. And I look at the odds and I think 75% of the people are going to fall and be devoured. No. God showed me this in the San Joaquin Valley when the, when the tractors were plowing the fields. And there's weeds. and Boom, they hit a rock. The guy gets out, lifts it up, throws it out. Shallow ground. Hard ground. You know how these shallow people, these hard people and these shallow people and these people who are consumed with the world, you know how they become fruitful? We just got to get plowed a little bit. It's okay. Time for the wilderness. Because the secret is you want the wars to end? Quit making it about you. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. Whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. His body was broken. His blood was shed for the remission of sins. To deliver man from sin and death by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He came not to be served, but to serve. And that testing happened in the wilderness. And he went out in the power of the spirit to deliver you and me. You want the wars to end? Get off the throne of your life. When Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, you know what it is? Jesus got off the throne of his life and let the father reside there. You get off the throne of your life and let the son reside there. Abide in him and he will abide in you. And there will be peace. There will be peace. This is the joy. This is the table of peace. This is where wars cease and God reigns. Come to me, all you are burdened and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. We're going to take communion together. You guys ready? Let's invite the worship team up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, you offered yourself to the Father. Lo, it is written of me in the volume of the book. I've come to do your will, O God. And the wars and the fights, they come from our desires and our pleasures that war inside us. We lust, we don't have, we murder with our words, we covet, we can't obtain, we fight, we war, we're adulterers, adulteresses. We want to spend everything on our pleasures, but Lord, you came to say it's not about you. It's about the Father's will. And the will is that we would seek and save that which is lost. Our lives are to be lived for others. Lord, we want the war to end today. You said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. So, Lord, we get off the throne of our life and we come to this table of sacrifice and we lay our lives down. We offer ourselves to you through the spirit. We say, Father, have thy will. I may be starving. I may be going through the wilderness, the desert. I may be in the midst of a huge spiritual battle, but I will not allow the enemy to make it about me. I will not take my eyes off you nor will I allow my heart to yield to anything but your will. I want to die. I want to pick up my cross. I want to follow you. 
that I might live. Lord, would you bless us now as we come to this table? Thank you for your sacrifice. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers will dismiss you by rows. You come down the side aisles. They'll give you the cup. You grab the bread. We have some gluten-free here if you need it. You go back to your seat through the center aisle. Sit down. As the worship team plays, take communion at your leisure. We're not going to do it all together at once. You just do it on your own, but remember the order. The bread first, because the body had to be broken. The cup second, then the blood was shed. And just hold the cup and thank Him and offer your life to Him anew. Let's worship the Lord.